This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General John McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. All right, let's do some mailbag questions, John. Uh, HOU mailbag at gmail.com if you want in on our mailbag. We do a mailbag episode every Wednesday. We've been doing it the entire offseason. We certainly do it during the regular season. We appreciate everybody who sends in questions, including some of our regulars. Joe Q is one of those regulars. He sent us a couple questions today. Um, John, before I read this question, what's your season prediction right now for the Texans? Because it plays into this question I'm about to read. I'm going to stick with six wins, which I've okay. said since D'Amico was hired, but my official prediction column won't be until right before the season starts. Okay. I'm seven and 10 right now for me. I'm so seven and Ooh. 10. Both, both are increases Ooh. over both, both are increases over what we'll call three and a half wins last year. Yeah, you know what time. happened to you last year when you I do, cause it was the same, same thing that happened to you. Yeah. Um, we exactly. both said six. We did. We did. Um, either way, six and seven are both improvements over what actually happened on the field. Joe's question oh, is, goodness, yes. Joe's question is this. Um, how much of that increase for each of us is due to the following schedule, coaching, Stroud, or other roster improvements? In other words, John, what's the driving force for you of those things behind why you think the Texans will be better in 2023? First of all, start with schedule. I think, uh, coaching, not just Nico, but Bobby Slowick, I think, uh, has got star written all over him. And uh, he's very careful what he's showing in preseason compared to regular season. One thing we know is they're going to use a, a lot of motion. That comes from Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, Kyle Shanahan. They use more motion pre-snap than any, than any team in football last year. I think them and Miami did. And Miami, of course, with the same system under Mike McDaniel. And uh, CJ, you know, they might win a couple more games with Davis Mills because CJ's a rookie quarterback and he's going to be up and down. I think the personnel's better and the schedule is weaker playing the NFC South, not playing the uh, NFC East and AFC West. So it all goes together. But I think the one that would be the least as far as picking them to win six games would be the rookie quarterback. I'm the same. John, you're taking the words right out of my mouth. CJ is at the bottom of the list of reasons why I think they'll be better just because he's a rookie. I, I think he could have a season that probably looks statistically a lot like Davis Mills did last year. You know, 
now, I think he, if he's healthy, he, unlike Mills, I don't think he's going to get benched. He'll play all 17 games, even if he's having that same type of year. I do think that he's going to be better at protecting the football than Davis. What Davis led the league in interceptions last year. I don't think CJ is going to lead the league in interceptions. I don't know that they'll let him lead the league in interceptions with how much they're going to want to run the football. I am huge on the schedule. I'm a big schedule person, even though I know that strength of schedule is one of those things that by the fourth or fifth week is flipped on its head because certain teams get injured or have are better than you think they are. I'm just not a believer in the NFC South. I'm not a big believer in the AFC South. That's 10 of their games right there. And the other games include Arizona. I'm not a believer in Denver. Um, you know, they, so so they've got a bunch of these. Again, now, they do cross over with the AFC North, and I think that could be the best division in the AFC. Um, so, I, But I'm a big believer. To me, I would, I would rank it schedule, coaching, roster improvements, and then TJ would be at the bottom of my list. I think if Mills, who played better as a rookie, and when – Pep Hamilton did a good job as a position coach and a horrendous job as a coordinator. And that quarterback coach he brought in, his buddy did a terrible job. I think if Davis Mills were starting now for Bobby Slowick and Drod Johnson, a quarterback coach, he would be so much better than he was last year. And I think a lot of Mills' mistakes that led to him leading in interceptions was because of the coaching and the system and the personnel. Remember Rex bleeping Burkhead? Yeah. I miss him, John, just because he made you so mad. This is a little like uh, – this is the version of me where I said a few minutes ago I like watching Ron Hughley get mad about D'Amico not naming a, a starting quarterback yet. I enjoyed watching you get agitated about how involved Rex Burkhead was in everything last year. I didn't like it. You know, I didn't like it either, but I was very entertained by how, how much you hated it. Just well, so I'm know. glad to entertain you. I'm glad you were entertained. Remember the first game when Bleeping Burkhead touched the ball more than Damian Pierce? I do. Even though everybody in the world, in the world, knew that Damian Pierce was a better player and was going to be a more productive player. But yeah. for some reason, they had Rex Bleeping Burkhead touch the ball more than him. And we're like, I wanted to pull what little hair I had left out of my head yeah it was crazy that, that was wild that game ended in a tie you imagine if they actually played pierce a little bit more in that game wow they might have won um joe q also john real quick he's it's funny he sent another email he said yeah with cj there were some excellent throws on the most analyzed 11 play field goal drive in franchise history um but he is very joe is very distraught about the delay of game uh at the one yard line. He said, I don't think enough's being made about the fact that they got to delay a game at the one yard line. And in the regular season, that cost, they would have kicked a field goal probably instead of going for it on fourth and goal from the six. I would assume, I'm, I would assume in the regular season, they would have kicked the field goal there. He makes a good point. You know, that cost you four points right there. You know, a lot of NFL games, that margin is inside of four points. Um, so I, the one thing I would say, John, CJ, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, obviously, CJ seems like a guy who, really internalizes his mistakes and then does his best to not make them a second time. Third down, they would have called a timeout and had third and goal. Yeah. And if that didn't work, they hadn't scored a touchdown with Damian Pierce or a fake to Pierce and a bootleg, then they would have kicked the field goal. There's yeah. nothing in preseason, a one one time deal like that that's worth getting distraught over. That's what preseason's about. Yeah. All right. Um Matthew Kasecki, I like this question, John. He said, um, 
I want you guys to use your memory of their first training camps. Okay. He's got three names for me here, three quarterbacks. So the first training camps for Matt Schaub, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and this camp with CJ Stroud. Okay. And he wants us to play the game. Mary, I'll say sex. I know I'm allowed to curse on here, but I'm not going to say the F. Mary, sex, or kill. <laughs> have you played that game before, John? No, I have no okay. clue what it was. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's, it's a game where you got to, you know, you choose either to marry somebody, have sex with somebody, or kill them. Um, CJ Stroud's performance, Matt Schaub's performance, or Ryan Fitzpatrick's training. That's ridiculous. Game. Let me just say, Schaub was a veteran in a system he knew. So he fit in immediately. Fitzy could fit in any system, although he struggled early with O'Brien. Their first preseason game was the worst performance I've ever seen. Fitzy's rating was like seven, and O'Brien stormed off after we asked him three questions. And everybody's, oh, my God, it's going to be terrible. And they were only nine and seven. And that's what happened with those two. Okay, instead, let's call it start, bench, and cut. Okay, instead of instead of the very graphic Matthew Kosecki, start, bench and cut. In other words, best, second best, third best. Start, bench, and cut based on training camp performance. Who would you start? Who would you bench? And who would you cut for those three guys based on their training camps? Shab, you would start. Fitz, you would cut. And, and, and Stroud, you would bench. Stroud's in the middle. Yeah, he'd be the backup. Okay, there you go. Because they traded for Shab for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, he was a veteran guy at the time. And they Fitz, wanted was... him in the system. Bill Musgrave, yeah. who had been with Kubiak, in Denver, told him what a great job Chubb did in that system. So he was ticketed to be the starter after they cut David Carter. So if CJ was here right now, number one, they'd be better. But uh, Chubb would have been the starter. Okay. Uh, Chris in the ATL, another frequent emailer to the show, says he likes business analogies. He said he thinks the 2023 version of the Astros, Astros question for you, John, is like the veteran top-performing sales rep who has an established territory. They're not thinking outside the box or being strategic. They're just thriving on past performance and professional skill set. I like this analogy, by the way. Um, he says, my point is, I don't think that approach is going to work for the postseason for the Astros this year. They can't just rest on their laurels. They need to think strategically and think outside the box, like maybe making J.P. France their number one or make Maldonado inactive and call up Salazar, something like that. His question is, are you confident with the Astros rolling with their current sales approach, just this current roster and lineup for the playoffs, or should they think outside the box to help them close the deal? What would you do outside the box, John, if you could? Or do you think they need to in order to win the World Series this year? I think uh, Verlander pitched really well in their second consecutive victory over Boston, shutout. Fromber, I don't think thinking out of the box is going to help him. J.P. France has got to be the third starter and put Javier in the bullpen and Hunter Brown in the bullpen in the playoffs, unless you need a fourth starter. And the bullpen, especially uh, Presley and Abreu, neither one's given up a run in August as we record this. And I would never have Chaz McCormick, and I would never have Yiner Diaz on the bench. I would make Diaz the catcher and say, Maldi, you can call team meetings and you can lead team meetings when we need you. You know, you can help me over here on the bench. But Diaz, who is better catcher, he's better thrower, he's a better hitter, he's faster. When he's not in the lineup, they're not as good. And I would have Chaz playing in center or left field every game. And uh, so I think Dusty's sticking to some of these players. I think that that's going to hurt them unless those players all of a sudden – decide to muscle up and play the way they 
did last season. Yeah, that's what concerns me, John. I think about Brantley coming back, and I know Brantley is, you know, if he can hit, he's a, he's a really good professional hitter. Um, you know, not a lot of punch, but he's he's a guy who's going to make contact and move things along, you know, lengthen the lineup. There, he's not an automatic out like some of these guys feel like. That's my only thing is he's going to take away at-bats, and theoretically he could take away at-bats from Yiner Diaz because Brantley's going to be a DH if he's in the lineup probably. He's going to either be DH or left field, but that's that's one more body. Getting Yiner in the lineup is going to happen either at catcher, which we know Dusty is not ready to make him the everyday catcher, at first base, which is going to get further cluttered with Jose Abreu coming back. And I know that could mean Singleton's gone, but we know how Dusty feels about Abreu. And then Brantley coming back takes away some of the potential DH at-bats available for Yiner. I'm with you. Yiner is the huge X factor for me because you, I think it goes without saying that they're not going to win a World Series probably unless they get Jose Altuve being Altuve, Bregman being Bregman. You know, Altuve, Bregman, Tucker, Jordan, guys like that need to be who they are for a whole month in order for them to win, by and large. Yiner's an X factor, man. Like Yiner, Yiner to me is an X factor, and you, you bring Brantley back, and all of a sudden you're eating into some of the potential at bats for him. I'd have Brantley as a pinch hitter. Um, they play 127 games. Chaz McCormick's play 84. Yiner's 83. They have 19, 18 home runs. Can you imagine if they played like 115 games? Both of them might have close to 25 home runs. Yeah, that's why I think Dusty's managerial decisions. I don't have a lot of problems with his strategical decisions like I do on his personnel decisions when his loyalty extends to those veterans like Maldi. I think it's way too much. And I don't care if Verlander, Verlander's, I don't care if he wants Mauricio Dubon in center field. Dubon should never be in center field. And I don't care that they want Maldi catcher. Could Fromber be any worse if Diaz was catching him? I don't think so. No, God, no. I mean, Fromber, Javier, uh, Hunter Brown. Uh, no, yeah, I know, and I know Hunter. You know, Diaz catches him more than Maldi does. You know, Maldi catches the other guys, but yeah, like these guys, the, <laughs> their ERAs are seven. And that's John. I said this before on the podcast. I said it on the radio. Martin Maldonado's got the greatest job in the world. Because when the pitchers are good, everybody gives Maldi all this credit for calling great pitches. And when they suck, people are like, wow, these pitchers really suck. Like, they're, they're, It's impossible for Maldi to be bad at that aspect of his job. And that aspect of his job is the only thing that's keeping him employed right now. Like, It's, it's, it's the only one that's not measurable. You know, like It's just something – it's anecdotal. It's, it's them going, oh, the pitchers just really like him. Oh, okay. Like, it's great. I like things too at my job. But I don't get everything that I want. You know, I got to adapt, right? Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, J, uh, J.R. Cortez all right, says, at the end of the upcoming season, I like this one, John. This is an easier one to decipher than the Mary Sex Kill one from earlier, I promise. Um, who has more? Will Anderson sacks, Tank Dell receiving touchdowns, Damian Pierce 100-yard games. Who has well, the most? Well, first of all, if Will Anderson gets 10 sacks, that's going to be a big deal. Tank's not going to have 10 receiving touchdowns. touchdowns. So I think Damian Pierce, assuming he can play more. Last year, he missed the last four. He missed all, almost all of the one when he got hurt. So let's say he missed five games. But I think if he can play, say, 13 or 14, he's going to uh, – what was the question about Pierce? Who, ha who has the most of these? It is, who has the most? Will Anderson sacks, 
Tank Dell receiving touchdowns. Damian Pierce, 100 yard games. Yeah, I don't think Damian Pierce going to have 10 100 yard games. So I'm going to say Will Anderson Jr. with where he's going to hit double digits in sacks. So you're, yeah, I mean, you're basing this on you think Will Anderson is going to be in contention for defensive rookie of the year. I think basically. he's the leading candidate. Yeah, I, I, uh, I like that too. I think Will Anderson is the safest. I think if you were to do like gambling odds on this one, that would be the heavy favorite right here, would be him having the most sacks. I'm curious, who do you think is second on that list, John? Who do you think has more? Does Tank Dell have more receiving touchdowns than Damian Pierce has 100-yard games this year? I could say Tank with five or six, and I could mm -hmm. say out of 17 games, say he plays 15. They want to run the ball a lot because that's what they do in this offense. It is, it is an offense tailor-made for a running back, so I'd say Pierce is number two. Okay, you see, you think that Damian Pierce will have more hundred-yard games than Tank Dell has touchdowns? Yeah. All right, I, John, I got to think about that one. There may be a friendly wager coming between me and you on that one. I think Tank Dell, I think Tank Dell is going to have a good year this year for these guys. I do too. I think he's going to have a great year. Yeah, I the my only, I guess my only concern now is this leg tightness that he's dealing with. I have no was. Do we know was he out of practice today? I didn't get to see. Yeah, him he was out there. He's practicing. He had a hamstring issue, and uh, thing about Tank is he's going to have to beat people deep because they're going to be playing a lot of zone against him to try to keep him in front of them. He may start great, but you know how defenses adjust. Bobby Slowick's got to get him in space, and he may not even start. So I think if he did, that would be great, but I'm still going with Pierce. Yeah. Um, all right, last one because this plays off of Will Anderson, John. Um, Will, An This is from Roy G., uh, he says, uh, if Will Anderson has 12 to 15 sacks, but the Texans pick is still a top five pick. In other words, Arizona gets a top five pick. Is the trade still worth it? Absolutely. You got a perennial pass rusher. If he has that, he's going to the pro bowl. He's going to be defensive rookie of the year. And there's a good chance Arizona's going to screw it up because they're the Cardinals. Yeah, they are. No, there's a good chance Arizona screws it up. I, I but the value of that pick isn't what to the Texans isn't what Arizona does with it. It's what do we think the Texans would have done with it if they had kept that pick? You know yeah, what I mean? They wouldn't have gotten a pass rusher like Will Anderson Jr. Yep. Yeah. Well, in the 12 to 15. And they still have first, second, third round picks. It's not like they're destitute. Yeah. That's a good point too. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, I mean, Cleveland, we just got to keep, we got to root for Cleveland to Cleveland this year. You know, that's it. That's Browns it. Browns could end up in last place. Maybe their third place, maybe their first place, but I think they got a better chance to finish last and first in the AFC North. Would you sign up, John? I saw a graphic uh, from one of the NFL.com writers um, late in the show today with uh, Payne and Pendergast uh, in the 9 o'clock hour. I think it was Adam Rank who writes for NFL.com. And he put up a they put up a graphic of his predictions, his projections for the AFC South. And it went like this. And by the way, my take was I would sign up for this right now, sight unseen. If they put a paper in front of me and said, you can sign this right now and this is how the AFC South will end up I would sign it and I would, you know, I'd be cool with it. Jacksonville, nine and eight, wins the division. Texans finish second at seven and 10. Tennessee, four and 13. Colts, three and 14. <laughs> I think any Texan fan would sign up with that in a heartbeat. I'm signing up for it as much because of what happened to Tennessee and Indianapolis in that scenario as I am the seven wins for the Texans this year. Jim. Well, that's what you predicted for the Texans. So I'd make you right. 
Yeah, but I'm you look I, like a genius. John, they could put five and twelve for the Texans. If the Tennessee Titans are finishing four and thirteen and the Colts are finishing three and fourteen, that's a happy year for us. Yeah, here. As long as the Texans win that game in December when the Titans are wearing the Oilers Columbia blue. I thought the exact same thing. You know, um I I my other follow-up take on that, John, on that graphic is that if you look at those four teams, if they were to finish that way. I would argue that the fan base that might be the most disappointed or underwhelmed of all four of those teams, ironically, might be the Jacksonville Jaguar fans. Only be nine and eight. Yeah. Yeah. And so much as that's that the expectations are that I mean, they were nine and eight and won the division last year. If they're nine and eight again this year, that I mean, that ain't gonna they're gonna be going on the road in the second round of the playoffs again. Um, and and I would think that Jacksonville fan Jacksonville if they go nine and eight it means Trevor Lawrence did not take the next step that everybody's expecting from him this year. If they're nine and eight, it means they're only two games ahead of the lowly Texans. That's right. That's right. Seven and ten, baby. Seven and ten. Get let's get our seven. Hey Texans, if you're listening, get get us our seven and ten merch already. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 the strive for seven. Um. All right, that's our mailbag. H-O-U seven mailbag. is heaven. Seven is there. You go, John. <laughs> Feeling it. I like it. Uh, all right. Uh, hou mailbag at gmail.com. If you uh, if you want to send us a question for next week, um, we will keep on banging out these podcasts. Two more next week, and then the regular season hits, and we start doing three during the regular season. Uh, John, what do you got going on on SportsRadio610.com? I have a column that I rewrote this morning, updated. It, it says the. Rangers, Astros, and Mariners are separated by one game in the wild, wild AL West. And I did it. I went through everything, what they've done, what they've got coming up, and why they did it. I'm going to have a section column up tomorrow. Beautiful. Love it. Yeah, that, that race, I was looking at all the divisional races today, John. That one's the, that race is the one race, the AL West race, that I feel like is the most compelling. You don't have to be a fan of any of the teams involved. That's going to be a fun race with Seattle and the Rangers and the Astros in it. That's, Astros. that's got some sizzle. Last six games are on the road at Seattle and at Arizona, which is on the road and could be playing for a wild card. Yep. It's going to be fun, man. It's going to be a fun September, no doubt about it.